This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and we are so glad to have you once again here for this thing we call we call we call a podcast. Oh, I'm still tired, still trying to. Uh, it was an exhausting weekend, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And hey, I want to start out by thanking everybody that I saw uh, that said hello, that wanted to take a, a picture, that uh, that had kind words about the the podcast at Starcast. Starcast was a blast. I ended up doing something that I found out the night before I was doing something that I totally didn't think I was doing, but I was honored to join the Fight TV uh, broadcast team. And uh, I want to thank um, Mike Weber, Jeff Jarrett, SoCal Val, Cyrus Fees, who I got to know and is a very talented MMA and wrestling announcer, and uh, Bill Apter. And uh, it was an honor for me. Oh, and got him. I'm forgetting Don West. I never, I haven't laughed as much as I did since uh, Don was back at uh, Impact Wrestling and TNA. But um, had a blast and uh, it was long and uh, didn't get a lot of sleep and then rushed to go see a, a Leonard Skinner farewell concert that was uh, off the charts in Jacksonville at the stadium with Kid Rock and a bunch of other bands. But um, so I didn't get to see All In. So I still haven't seen it, but I heard it's tremendous. Uh, Definitely want to check it out at some point when life gets back to normal. And um, But I congratulate those guys. Got to talk to Cody a little bit. And, uh, you know, what they did was just amazing. What Conrad did, hey, I got to tell you, man, uh, you know, this guy had so much pressure on him, Conrad, uh, for undertaking, you know, for doing such an undertaking. And he was a class act if, if, if there were guys that were uh, late or guys that didn't, you know, you – you could book all the, you know, all these great events, but if talent doesn't show up or uh, if things get switched around, then uh, <laughs> there's certain things that are out of your uh, capacity to control. But I will tell you that the few things that uh, that that were were few situations where uh, the talent was late or missed their flights or were delayed, uh, Conrad went out of his way to go above and beyond to make sure that every single person that was at that fan fest, the talent, the fans, the vendors, it went, went out of his way in an exhaustive fashion to make sure that uh, everybody was satisfied. And although I know he was saying that this is one and done and he's not doing it again, uh, I really hope he does uh, do it again. Uh, it was a fantastic time. Got met a lot of old friends that I hadn't seen before in, in, in a long time in the wrestling business, and I got a lot of people, a lot of names, interesting names, big names, Hall of Famers uh, that uh, have committed to participating in this podcast uh, over the rest of the year and moving into 2019. So uh, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but uh, we are looking forward to having some fun guests in the future and uh, really was a blast. So I want to thank Conrad and Jeff Jarrett and uh everybody else i didn't get to do the podcast from there i didn't get to spend really spend much time on podcast row i was more of a host and uh you know i i, I got to be a chameleon in this business you got to kind of go with the changes roll with the changes as ario speedwagon says one of my favorite songs that by the way that would be my intro song 
if I could pick an intro song uh, that uh, was a commercial song, but uh, would be Roll With The Change. It's not that you care. I just thought I'd let you know that. Uh, so I just want to thank everybody. It was a, it was a blast. Uh, God, I wish we could do that once a month. And um, so uh, this week we got a couple of guests and it uh, should be interesting. Uh, we're going to be joined by Sam Adonis. I had talked about him and a situation he got himself in in the UK where, uh, uh, you know, we talked about this politically uh, politically correct world we live in and, and how hard is it to get heat. And so we're going to talk to him about that, about his adventures in Mexico, uh, sort of doing, uh, I know Sam doesn't like to call it a gimmick, but I can't think of any other word for it, sort of being a uh, Donald Trump supporter in Mexico, which to me is insane if you care about uh, waking up the next morning. But uh, we're going to talk to him about that and about his career and about his thoughts on being an old school heel and um, had had a couple of uh, Skype issues, but um, uh, we got 99% of it. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that interview. Also, we're got, we've been talking about doing uh, Politically Incorrect with uh, Hustler Rip Rogers. And so we're going to uh, try that, see how that is, just like we did with uh, the Disco Inferno a few months ago. We pulled names out of a hat. We're not going to pull names out of a hat, but I have um, several topics that I'd love to get a true and honest answer from, including getting heat in this PC culture. So that sort of be the theme for this edition of Sitting Ringside. So uh, we'll be joined by Rip Rogers as well. So uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at David Penzer. I'd love to interact with you guys. Love to hear from you. Uh, we had a contest a couple of weeks ago where if you retweeted uh, the, uh, the episode with Jeff Jarrett, then you were eligible to win a StarCast prize pack. And um, uh, we did pick a winner. And uh, just want to let that person know that uh, uh, Conrad is going to be getting that prize pack to that person in the next week or so. Uh, it was so crazy uh, up there in, in Chicago. We didn't get a chance to put that together. But uh, he did assure me that he's going to put something together and send it. So we thank everybody who participated. That's the first one of those we've done, and uh, same, people seem to dig it. Uh, so uh, if, you, if, if, if you liked it and you, you'd like us to do more contests, I got a whole bunch of collector stuff here in my office and in, uh, in the garage that my, life, my wife would probably love to get rid of. So uh, we, could, we could do some more contests and stuff like that. Always open to your suggestions. So hit us up at David Penzer on Twitter for sure. At, Dave, at Penzer Ringside is the site of the podcast. So uh, right now I want to bring on a man who uh, is certainly controversial and uh, certainly likes to do it old school and causing him some troubles in the climate that we live in. But we're going to talk about it and his adventures and his career. So please welcome the one and only Sam Adonis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our first guest this week on City Ringside. If you remember correctly, a few weeks ago, if you're a regular listener, uh, I opened up City Ringside with a uh, kind of a mini rant, and it referred to an incident in the UK where my guest this week, Sam Adonis, uh, had an incident. No need to rehash the incident. He's explained it. He's apologized for it. Uh, but it did bring up a bigger discussion that I want to continue to have with not only Sam, but also uh, others in professional wrestling over the next several weeks and months, because 
when I was at Starcast this past week, it was a, a point of discussion a lot too. So it's 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 something that's growing in this PC culture that we live in, and that's how do you get heat in this political correct culture uh, in professional wrestling? Is everybody a babyface? Is everybody a nice guy? Uh, and and how much of a bad how much of a bad guy could you be? So with that, um, I want to bring in the man who. I was talking about and ranting about a little bit uh, on a broader scale, and uh, also wanted to. I'm really anxious to talk to him about doing a a pro Donald Trump gimmick in Mexico uh, because um, you know you'd think that that was like suicide, and I don't mean career suicide. I mean like you know uh, uh, suicide uh, with your life in danger. So without further ado, I've ranted long enough. Uh, please welcome Sam Adonis to City of Ringside. Sam, happy to have you. Thanks for having me, man. I've been looking to looking forward to doing this for you for quite some time. Uh, last time we connected, I was occupied during my British tour, and our signal wasn't too good because I was stuck in a British pub. So glad oh. to be here today with you. Our signal was fine. It was just the, the drunk guys in the background that were all singing Irish ta- songs that were the problem. Well, exactly. I might, I might, I may have, may or may have not been one of those drunk guys singing <laughs> Irish songs. Well, if I was at that bar, I would have been, and I'm Jewish, but uh, I'd pretend to be Irish. <laughs> hey, uh, how was how was the UK tour? Other oh, other than other than the first little blip, how was the UK tour? Yeah, other than the, the the little blip on the radar, it was fantastic. I was able to work uh, once again for Brian Dixon. Um, I, I believe you worked over there on some of the British tours back in the day. Uh, some of the best talent on earth comes from there. Mason, uh, Robbie Brookside came from there. Uh, the Doug Williams. All, all the big British stars have worked for him because he's been promoting for 45 years, but uh, it, it really is like the last territory. Um, you're doing upwards of 10 to 12 matches a week. Um, you go from town to town, you know, you're on the road with the boys and, you know, it, it's really one of the last places on earth where pro wrestling is still pro wrestling. Yeah. I did a tour there. It was a, a WCW after WCW went out of business. Uh, it was me and fit Finley and, uh, uh, Horace Hogan headlined and God, we had Drew McDonald and, and Tony St. Clair and, and Robbie Brookside. And, and it was just like almost a reunion of the who's who of not only UK, but, but European wrestling. And, uh, we had a blast. They ribbed the ever loving crap out of me. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, but it was, it was, uh, very entertaining. I think I actually went over for Scott Conway, but I did do a few things for Brian Dixon. Does Scott Conway still promote over there? No, he's, he's not a promoter anymore, but his, his influence is still felt, uh, him and Brian were friends, you know, after all, but, uh, it's the certain side that Brian Dixon promotes on is basically the American wrestling side. They try to push the American wrestling product to the British wrestling fans. And it really kind of shies away from the internet wrestling market. Um, I'm actually not too big of a fan on what wrestling has become online as far as, you know, this, this whole new style of, you know, going out there and getting your, your moves retweeted on the internet and basically doing things for YouTube hits as opposed to doing it for money. So luckily working for Brian Dixon, you know, has given me the experience to work with the British guys, learning a real, you know, style and going from town to town every night and basically being a professional wrestler instead of being a part of this new machine that is indie wrestling, if you will, which, uh, I found out the hard way. I, I don't really comply too well with. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely old school wrestling for sure. And uh, I had, like I said, I had a blast. I was over there a month. It was funny. 
I don't know if I uh, if I told you that we were we had been uh, personal messaging back and forth trying to get settle a time for you to come on the last few weeks, and uh, I, I don't know if I told you this, but when I uh, was over there, there was a guy who was a wrestler whose wife was a wrestler who also put up the ring, and his little kids, including his little five year old daughter, would uh, before the matches after he put up the ring would go in the ring and they would you know, jump around and, and, and I can remember this little girl jumping off the top rope and just messing around. And, um, uh, all these years later to date myself, um, that little girl, that little five-year-old is the, uh, uh, is the general manager of SmackDown page. So, uh, there's a story for you. And, uh, who would have known? Exactly. So I've spent a lot of time with R- Ricky Knight, her father and her brothers, her little brothers. I don't think you remember them, uh, Roy and Zach. They were just little, they were little kids. They were kid at the time. Yeah, they were just little kids. I remember. Uh, it was uh, great. To, go ahead. They just, they're such a big part of British wrestling. You know, they are really a wrestling family. And, and I think that's why Paige has had such success, you know, being up, growing up around it. And not only the in-ring stuff, you know, when you grow, grow up around such a vicious business, you know, clearly it's going to smarten you up and, you know, prepare you for success. So I'm happy, happy to know them, happy for all her success. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to see what they're doing now. So before we get into this, um, before we get into this larger discussion of generating heat in a PC world in 2018, uh, and we'll get there, um, I want to talk about this um, this pro Donald Trump gimmick that you did in Mexico. How did that come about? Whose idea was it? And um, uh, we'll, we'll start with those two questions, I guess. Well, basically, you know, I, it, the the term Donald Trump gimmick gets thrown around, and in a sense, you know, I didn't really do a Donald Trump gimmick. You know, I. I say my gimmick is I'm a 1980s wrestling heel and I'm one of those heels. that's just deep down a despicable human being. You know, I come out with a smile on my face and, and I'm a used car salesman. I come out telling you, you know, Hey, I'm right. I'm a nice guy. You can trust me. And then I'm the guy, you know, trying to slip your wife, my telephone number behind your back. So that's, that's the character that, you know, I, I started off with down in Mexico and I will take complete responsibility in admitting that I'm one of the biggest Rick Rude fans on earth. So I get wrestling gear that has airbrush designs on it. You know, the pictures and, sure. and uh, just real colorful tights like Rick Rude used to wear, or like Rip Rogers used to wear. And uh, basically we did a pay-per-view where I was representing the United States. And this was September of 2016. And I decided to get Donald Trump on the tights just to kind of, you know, just, for a laugh, if you will, just because I'm always thinking of new ideas for the, the tights I wear. And the response was just absolutely overwhelming. People were just so fired up in the audience. The people were just, you know, going crazy for it. And the wrestlers loved it. And Mexican wrestling, you know, it, it, to their credit, it's still basically real to them. You know, it has the same respect of a sport that wrestling in the United States had in the seventies and, you know, people live and die and read in it, read about it in the magazines and the newspapers. They said, wow, that's, that's great. That's a good idea. So I kind of embraced that on the tights for a little bit. And I was curious to see what was going to happen with the election because I knew when the election was going to happen, you know, I could take it to the next level. I could turn it up. While I was spending my time in the United Kingdom for Brian Dixon, we always had to come to the ring with a flag. So once Donald Trump ended up winning the election, I decided I was going to come out with the American flag, but get a giant picture of Donald Trump on the flag. So basically when that happened, everything just went crazy. 
people just got so far behind it and being basically such a despicable heel that's rubbing in the Mexican's face that, you know, my president's better than you and your people is what made it take on the legs that it did. And, you know, in the last two years, I could hold my heat and, and the money drawing ability I had in Mexico against anybody else in the wrestling industry. So you first put on, before he wins the election, you first put on the tr- the trunks, Rick Rude style that has uh, Trump on them. Uh, you said that the, the place went crazy. I'm assuming they booed you out of the building. They absolutely went nuts. They hated it. They booed. The, you know, I had more heat than anybody in this pay-per-view. You know, the reaction was good, but the, the Mexican wrestling fans love suspending the disbelief. They want to go there and scream their heads off and get in your face and they want to be angry. But then after the show, you know, they want the pictures, they want the autographs and they're very appreciative that you can make them forget about real life for a couple hours. So it was, it was a 50, 50, you know, it was very hot, very real, very genuine emotion, but that's what they like about wrestling. They want it to be too much because, you know, the same problem we have in American wrestling now is we might have better athletes and better acrobats than ever, but the drama is lacking and being able to bring that back to the Mexican wrestling fans, you know, it was something they wanted more of. It was something they were able to embrace and, and really, you know, turn it up, which eventually got me a push with the company and, you know, took me to the next level. And we ended up selling a ton of tickets. And that's what it's about. Any trepidation, uh, from the promoters at first that you might be going too far? Well, we had a, uh, one of the arenas we had was our, our American TV show, which uh, Fox, Fox Sports USA was, or Fox Sports Espanol was broadcasting our uh, B shows and they didn't want any part of it. So the referee told me that I couldn't do it on those shows. And for a couple of days, it, it was kind of lost in translation that I wasn't allowed to use the flag anymore. But, you know, I knew that something didn't add up. And I know that the boss was really happy when I started using the flag. So I kind of just asked the right people and got the right clearance. But uh, it almost didn't see the light of day. But, you know, the boss, he knows what sells tickets. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you know, a lot of the big time real wrestling promoters care about is making money. They don't necessarily care about their online reputation or how many Twitter followers they have because, you know, they don't pay the bills with Twitter followers. You know, Paco Alonso from Mexico City has been promoting CMLL for 40 years. And, you know, that bottom line is all that's important to him. So uh, was there any I know you said that most of that well, you didn't say, but you sort of inferred that most of the fans were kind of in on it. They booed you, but then they appreciated you and they wanted photos and all that. Were you ever in a situation where somebody maybe was inebriated or just out of control and, and, and tried to attack you because of uh, your, your, you say it's not a gimmick, but because of who you had on your flag and your tights. I've had uh, situations, you know, at ringside that I I was smart enough to walk away from. Again, usually it is when alcohol is involved, somebody likes to push it too far, but you know, I I was able to survive two years living in Mexico. I speak Spanish. I, I, I kind of consider myself smart enough to avoid the bad situations. So most of the time it was no problem. However, there was one time where somebody in the arena had called the local drug Lord and informed them what was happening in the arena. 
So as I was leaving the arena, I was followed to my car by a black Escalade, which you don't see too many of in Mexico City. And I was warned by the locals, hey, you know, we need to you need to wait here and not walk to your car just yet. And the promoter had to come out with a bunch of the wrestlers and basically defuse the situation because, you know, who knows what would have happened if I walked all the way to my car without getting that uh, the, the guy talked down, if you will. So that was pretty scary in hindsight. But, you know, most of the time the fans are just so excited to be a part of the show and so excited to forget about their normal life, you know, because that's what a heel is. My job is to make you angry and, you know, be the guy that you tell your child not to be like, you know, and when you can hate somebody that bad, you want to spend your money to see him get his, his comeuppance. You want to watch the baby face come and put things right. And in my opinion, you know, from what I've been taught about pro wrestling and what I think is good wrestling, that's what's missing from wrestling. Now you know, there's not enough good heels that make you, you know, that, that get under your skin and make you angry. And that's why there's not the, the drama in wrestling that there used to be. So after that uh, Escalade incident, any thought about maybe I shouldn't do this anymore? Or you just kept on rolling. Well, that was in a, a different uh, part of town. That was a, an independent show where I wasn't under the CMLL umbrella. Um, generally in Arena Mexico, we are completely, uh, completely protected. You know, there's about 50 armed security guards outside each door. You know, it's a really, really uh, protected area. So, you know, I just went to work on Friday like nothing happened. You know, I just continued as usual and ne never really thought twice about it. But now that I'm able to sit here and tell these stories with you, you know, maybe that was me being quite ignorant and stupid. And maybe I should have come crawling home at that point. Well, you know, it's a different environment down there. Like you say, like you said, a, a lot of the cartels and have a lot of power. Uh, so that would probably give me a second thought, but I'm an old, uh, I'm an old, I'm an old guy who's, uh, uh, who doesn't want to stir the shit when it comes to that stuff. And you're young and probably, uh, the adrenaline kicked in and you're like, uh, I'm gonna keep going. So God bless you. Hey, go ahead. It's, it's one of those things that where a lot of the independent promoters outside, you know, they, they're less than savory people themselves. Sure. A lot of times some, some of the, uh, some of the independent shows, are promoted with drug money and, and, you know, with the higher ups in the community. And there's a very fine line between politician and criminal in Mexico. So a lot of times, you know, these people that, that were hiring my services could basically defuse any situation I would have been brought to anyway. So, uh, you know, I, again, it's one of life's experiences and I look back at it and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done down there. I've had such fun with it. You know, like I said, I was able to learn Spanish while living in Mexico I've learned the people, I've learned the culture and, you know, there's not a person out there that could say what I did was racist because I gave it back to the people. I did this because I know a heel's job is to make you angry so you can do a job, so you can give it back to the fans and, and you know, make them go home happy. And, you know, uh, we, we did a couple of really big matches down there and I ended up losing my hair to a guy named Negro Cassis. And I mean, the, the impact we had on the city for that match was just immense and the people were so happy about it. It gave them, you know, a sense of Mexican pride because I was such a good heel because I was able to, you know, make them so angry for so long that when the hero beat me, you know, wrestling gave back to them something special. I was going to ask you about that match. Uh, you know, it's, it's on a lot of wrestlers bucket list to wrestle in arena Mexico, which you got to do. 
on a regular basis, and you got to headline that uh, match against Nigo Casas, who's a legend in I've been reading about him in Mexico since I was, uh, you know, a teenager and uh, absolute legend. Tell me about uh, headlining uh, a, a sacred arena like Arena Mexico against a guy like Negro Casas. Well, I was super lucky because, uh, you know, the Heath kind of carried me. Um, a, a lot of people want to discredit, you know, and say it was cheap, easy Heath. And, you know, I will defend that to the end because, you know, you know how you, you have to learn how to control an audience and you know how to, how to you know control your art. And I'm very proud to say that I did that. And I was able to kind of get over without the push to begin with. I was able to go out there in the second and third match and, and you know, give the people something different. And then the bosses took note and then they decided, OK, we have to do this. And the plan was. First of all, I had a hair versus hair match against Blue Panther, who's another Mexican superstar, an absolute legend. Sure. And I actually sure. beat him for his hair. And that was basically the day that I cemented myself in Mexico as a star. Because, you know, on a Friday night, I beat him for his hair. And on Saturday morning, I couldn't walk down the street because it was, you know, people reading the newspaper and people screaming out the window at me and, you know, go home, gringo, and all this stuff. And that really turned it up and then it set the stage for going back, you know, to set up for the Negro Casas match. But I mean, you said it yourself, Negro Casas is one of the probably top 50 biggest names in the history of our business, you know, worldwide. Sure. So just working for him, working with him for the three months leading up to it, you know, main events every night, doing the angles, doing the promos, doing everything that it takes to build for the hair and hair match more than anything was a learning experience, you know, and, and coming from a guy like him, he almost tells me to push the envelope. He says, hey, go further, go further. That's how we're going to get it back in the end. And, you know, a, a guy like him, he's 59, still going strong, but you don't just survive 49 years in the bit or 40 years in the business without knowing, you know, how to play the game and how to get to get yourself over. So him telling me to push forward and really get more heat and just being too much in the end, you know, it, it taught me a lot about what heat is and taught me how to be a better heel. But, you know, I definitely realized he's done it for himself and it just made a magical moment. You know, him keeping himself as a superstar after all these years, beating me and, and having a strong heel to go over, in my opinion, is what the wrestling business is all about. Absolutely. And I wasn't aware you took the hair of Blue Demon. That's <laughs> I don't know. Blue if, Panther. Blue, Blue, Panther. Blue Panther. I'm sorry. I don't know if, uh, if, 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 you know. That's a pretty big deal. That's like taking like a Jeff Jarrett's hair. I'm trying to think of a name. Kurt Hennig back, you know, God bless him. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Um, but uh, so the question, I guess, would be is, is why did you leave? Um, the, the, it ran its course at the time. I've been there for two years. And as much as I love being in Mexico, I missed being at home. You know, I, I, I had to live there for two years. And luckily now I'm in a situation where the work I put in in Mexico has taken me to a new level. And even when I was in the, uh, living in Mexico City, most weekends I was flying to the United States for shows because that reputation has carried me to a new level. And, you know, everything's just kind of stacked up on me. I miss my family. I missed, you know, the amenities of living in the United States. And living in Mexico City, it is a little bit harder to get to certain cities. So I was able to come home and basically be based out of the United States now. And luckily I'm able to stay as busy as I am. 
So I'm still working all over the country. You know, I just did my tour of Europe. I go back to all Japan pro wrestling in November. Oh, wow. Um, it's just worked out well for me to be based in the United States. However, the door is still open with CMLL. Um, I still am in contact with them and, you know, we will be doing work together here shortly, but I don't have any of the dates confirmed, but you know, I, I definitely will be back in arena Mexico at some point sooner than later. So, so when you wrestle here in the U S do you dare don the, uh, the Donald Trump, uh, tights and, and bring out the flag or have you not done that? I've done it sometimes. And usually I only tend to do it on the Mexican themed shows because it, again, it's, uh, it, it's, I don't like the direction we, you know, we've taken as a society being so sensitive and not being able to appreciate, you know, the, the art behind pro wrestling and, and seeing our side of it as you need a villain to create a, a baby face to, to give you that raw emotion. Um, a lot of crowds in the United States are quite sensitive. Um, if I've done shows in, let's say, you know, Dallas, Texas, or in uh, Phoenix, Arizona with a predominantly Mexican audience, you know, where I'm speaking Spanish and doing that, they appreciate it because they want classic Lucha Libre. Um, I've also done a Lucha Libre themed show in Detroit where, you know, it was, it was for the Lucha was what's, what's selling the tickets, but it was more of a hipster audience. And I can tell you straight up that that was the most hostile crowd I've ever been in front of because they were almost offended that they paid money to have politics waved in front of their face. They didn't see the big picture that it's just a show, that it's just a spectacle. Because, you know, I'm supposed to make you angry in order for you to be happy when you when I lose. You know, they they kind of get blindsided by that just based on, you know, the social media age and, and, you know, having a voice and having an opinion and being able to be angry. And, you know, I'm sure somebody probably could have got a refund if they wanted to, because, you know, you don't talk about someone's weight and you don't talk about politics. That's just kind of a thing. Which uh, killed which would have killed Ric Flair back in the day. Uh, I can't. I probably uh, said fat boy on every show I ever saw him uh, in the ring with a microphone, but uh, which brings up the subject of, 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 of sort of why uh, we, we wanted to have you on here. Um, you know, you're not just some, some random dude. You're, you come from a wrestling family. Your father was a promoter. Uh, your brother is an extremely uh, well-known uh, commentator for WWE. If people didn't know Corey Graves. And, um, and so, you know, you, you, you have a history in this business going back generations now. And um, so I'm wondering, uh, how do you reconcile, uh, you know, trying to be a heel? Is it even possible in, in 2018 in the climate that we're in? I definitely think it's possible. I, I think more or less it has to be. Um, it's more or less a strategy with the promoters and not necessarily a strategy with the fans. Because the fans now, they're almost insulted if you make them angry. They don't go to wrestling to get emotional anymore. And, um, for example, I look at Jinder Mahal. Sure. You know, Jinder Mahal is, in my opinion, one of the best heels in, in wrestling today. He's on Monday Night Raw, and, and he wins the title. And he is the, the fans are angry. They're complaining, this guy does not deserve to win the belt. Who is he? And he's nothing, and this and that. And the fans almost don't realize that he's exactly doing his job. He's making you angry. You're not angry at the character he's portraying. You're angry at him as a human being. But either way, that's a heel. So you're going to pay money to see Randy Orton beat him for the belt. They're more interested in watching him lose than they are, you know, 
seeing what he's capable of doing. Same thing almost with a Brock Lesnar. How many people are so angry of him being a part-timer? And, you know, in so many, it's almost like they don't realize they're being worked. They're, they're so preoccupied with being an educated wrestling fan in 2018 that think they know the business, but most of them actually don't, that they don't realize that, you know, they're falling into the trap. These people watch every pay-per-view to, to wait and see him lose, you know, even though they're not waiting to see him lose because, because they're waiting to see him lose because he's a part-timer. So I, I think the game is to, as long as I can stay in work, and, and keep the, the correct promoters interested in my, my shtick and th- this and that, you know, I think it is possible to be a heel, but you know, I, that's kind of what I have to rely on because I don't like the style of wrestling that, you know, you have to do to, to stay relevant on the independence in 2018. So I go to very few independent shows. You had mentioned, can't talk about somebody's weight. So I, and I had mentioned Ric Flair and I have bring announced probably, uh, if not 500, uh, 750 Ric Flair matches in, in my career. And, uh, and you know, he would go out on the mic every night and say, hey, fat boy, you like, you know, I took your mother on Space Mountain. Uh, are you not even allowed to say that anymore without people getting upset? Uh, it depends on where you're at. I think uh, most people do want to be involved in that. Um, and for instance, the, the, the situation I got in a bit of trouble for, for my, you know, less than colorful promo skills in the United Kingdom for every one or two people that are upset, there's eight or nine that are happy to have an old school wrestler back. You know, I think what, what makes me upset is we're in a day in an age where, you know, let's say six foot four jacked muscle man can wrestle five foot seven skinny little girl and they can sell for each other and have a equality wrestling match because the fans are willing to suspend dif- disbelief, but the, you know, they're not willing to suspend disbelief to believe that that wrestler that's in the ring is portraying a character. You know, I, I look at what I've done in Mexico as proof of that. You know, I've had a Mexican girlfriend. I lived in Mexico. I learned the language and I have proved by my outside of the ring actions that, you know, it's nothing more than a character. I think we should be able to accept that in wrestling. And I think in a lot of sense, you know, it, it kind of, it's kind of hypocritical on wrestling fans part, you know, they should be willing to open their minds and realize that it is part of the event. It's part of the spectacle. They need to get wind up. They need to have a clear cut villain in order to have a clear cut baby face. And in my opinion, you know, that's why in 2018, 350 people is a very busy and good wrestling show as opposed to 25 years ago where, you know, you never go back to a town that had 300 people. If it didn't have 2,000, you didn't want anything to do with it. So I think that's why, you know, wrestling is not part of the mainstream anymore because the, the biggest asset that pro wrestling had was being able to control your emotions. And as soon as you take away the faces and the heel, it's no longer an emotional sport. It's just a, a, an athletic mm-hmm. exhibition. It's funny you mentioned the girl versus the big guy because – uh I was at uh, StarCast this past uh, weekend, at last weekend, and uh, I hosted a uh, panel on uh, on uh, war games. But uh, Tully Blanchard was asked a question from a fan about how he felt when, uh, I guess in San Antonio, Brian Cage wrestled Tessa. And he was not very happy about it. He didn't think it was realistic. And he even said 
you know, as a wrestler, you know, you should be able to go out no matter what the environment is and get heat without having to, you know, toss a girl around. And, you know, it, it made me think of sort of a little bit about your situation. And it's funny that you brought that up, that that seems to be okay. Uh, but, you know, calling people names under the guise of being a bad guy, nasty heel character is sort of outlawed. So I, I, and, and I, I totally agree. I mean, and at the same time, you know, I really get along with Tessa and I get along with Brian Cage. They're both unbelievable athletes and great wrestlers, but you know, they're, they're more a part of that aspect of wrestling that I'm kind of, you know, not in tune with. I don't really, you know, I've been lucky enough to make a full-time living out of wrestling for the last eight years without having to appeal to that internet audience. Um, I think we are in an age where, you know, you can watch a movie and see, let's say Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, he was in Django Unchained and was as unsavory as any character has ever been. But because it was a good movie, you go home and saying, wow, that's a good actor. I think, you know, wrestling now we're at that age where that's the same narrative that should be pushed. People should appreciate, you know, knocking down the barriers and, and basically as a performance art, being able to tell a story of who you are and why you're the good guy or why you're the bad guy, but it shouldn't reflect you as a human being because you're willing to suspend disbelief. You know, it's almost like some wrestling fans want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to know that, that, that it's a show, but as soon as you get them and make them, you know, actually get under their skin, they're angry that you, you know, got them. You, they're, they're complaining about there's no good workers and there's no drama anymore. But as soon as you give them drama and, and show them that you can, you know, create a negative situation, they're offended and want to complain about it. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with you. I, and let me give you an example. We, we got NFL here starting. And when, when an NFL player, if an NFL player takes a knee or raises a fist during the national anthem, whether you, whether you, you hate that, or whether you agree with it a thousand percent, and I, I'm not, you know, I don't have an opinion for this for this podcast. For that, where I'm not here to talk about that. But I'm using it as an example. Whether you like it or you hate it, it's that person who's taking that action that you're not either thrilled with and agree with, or you or you hate. When when you go in the ring, or a wrestler goes in the ring and does something unsavory like like that, or maybe people like it, or, or does, it's it's not. People have to remember it's not coming from the heart. It's it's somebody playing a character, like you said, just like in a movie. And I think people well, it, for, forget about that these days. It, exactly. Especially now, you know, there's that Lucha Underground, which is, you know, it's taking wrestling to the whole new level of, of suspending disbelief. Where I, I don't know. I don't watch new wrestling at all. I don't even watch my brother on WWE. But, you know, from what I understand, there's been characters that have killed other wrestlers on that TV show. And it doesn't affect them. Nobody, you know, you don't call the police that, you know, XYZ wrestler killed another wrestler on TV because, you know, it's a, it's a work, you know, or the same thing that a British wrestler held a knife to another wrestler in the ring for a promo. And it was edgy and cool because, you know, he has that Internet following that gets behind him. You know, it, it's almost like people don't really know what they want. You know, they it, it's it's not fair in certain senses that, you know, you can be a very good performer. And again, you know, what, what I did wasn't correct. You know, I, I've learned the hard way and, and I'm, I, I didn't ever mean to offend anybody by, you know, saying certain things that was distasteful. However, you know, I, I was under the, I think wrestling fans should be able to understand that 
from 7.30 p.m. till 10.30 p.m. when the show is over, those wrestlers you see in the ring are characters. They're, they're fictional beings, you know, that are trying to make you forget about your... And anybody that knows me or meets me at a meet and greet, you know, my biggest compliment I can ever get from anyone is say, wow, I can't believe how cool you are in person. I can't believe you're not this despicable human being. And, and to me, that's, that's, you know, a, a compliment because it tells me I'm good at my job and making you think that I'm really that despicable. But, you know, unfortunately, unless you have, you know, that reputation or you're seen in the eyes of, of all wrestling fans all the time as that some people can kind of, you know, not understand it. And, and they, they're not open-minded to realize that what we do is a performance art and, and it, we're really, you know, supposed to captivate you on an emotional level instead of just a physical and athletic level. Well, again, and then one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because it's a, it's, it's, it, to me, it's an interesting conversation that we're having and it's a topic that's not going to go away. Uh, uh, you know, we live in different times and for good or for bad. And, and like I said in my little rant a few weeks ago, I don't know that there's a right answer or wrong answer. Uh, I think it's up to each person what their values are, but I, I think that people have to be reminded, like, like we talked about already that you're playing a character. So if you're offended by that character, don't be offended by that human being because it's not a human being. If you said something on the radio promoting the show, you know, that might be a little bit different. But when you're in the ring in the heat of the battle, in my opinion, at least, I think that, you know, within reason, uh, you're allowed to uh, I think you should be allowed to uh, to to be a bad guy. You know, uh, you know, there's certain words that are off limits for sure. But, um, you know, in, in any in any situation. But I appreciate you coming on and talking about that. Any you mentioned not watching WWE, any chance that. If they called, uh, you might be interested in going there. Oh, I mean, who knows? I, I go where I'm accepted, and I I think in 2018 I might be a bit of a uh, a black horse or a bit of a dark horse, somebody that's kind of you know blackballed or something. Who knows? I would do whatever anybody asked me of, and I just wish that I could you know make people appreciate pro wrestling for what it is, because I think at the end of the day, you know, good wrestling it's one of the most beautiful art forms on earth. I think you know. We're the only performance art that's able to control the audience on an emotional level and basically give back to them. And, you know, it's like watching a good sports game where, where, you know, you're controlling the audience and how they feel without them realizing you're controlling it. And uh, I think today my style of wrestling is so far gone that maybe I wouldn't be accepted by a WWE or a TNA. However, you know, I've been super lucky with the people I've come across. You know, like I said, I have Japan coming up. I still stay busy in the United States and Mexico. Um, I'm just happy to be a part of wrestling wherever I can be. And I like to think that a lot of the people that knows, you know, what I am good at and what I'm capable of, you know, they still support me and hopefully will always be there. So I don't know. We'll see. Who knows what the future holds. But, you know, I, I would never turn down a contract anywhere as long as it's willing to accept Sam Adonis, the professional wrestler, and not, you know, somebody that has to, back down and play by today's rules of of political correctness because i do i believe good pro wrestling you know has a special place in everybody's heart let me ask you a question i wasn't planning on asking you this uh do you ever you know your your brother works in a politically correct uh, PG, pg rated uh company and is on the microphone for uh five hours a week at minimum uh 
talking. Do, do you guys ever discuss uh, what the fine line is? And does he ever give you any advice? Are you back to him about uh, where wrestling's gone in 2018? No, clearly not. Because if, if we did, I probably wouldn't have gotten in trouble for the, what happened in the United <laughs> Kingdom. Uh, luckily, my brother's so busy doing all his WWE things. And, you know, I, I talk to him more on a personal level when I do about the kids and, you sure, know, his, sure. his family life. Um, so that's not necessarily the, the talks we have. Um, he's, he's been super supportive of everything I've done. I super supportive of everything he's doing, you know, but in a sense, we're almost now that he's gone so far in a different direction, as far as a broadcaster goes and being part of the WWE system for so long, we almost can't relate because I'm doing something different. I have to stay relevant in my own path. You know, and sometimes it doesn't necessarily include what WWE wants me to do, because if I did everything that WWE wanted me to do for the last seven years since I've been released from WWE, you know, I might not be have been able to stay in work, you know, so it's 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 complicated. But, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but we are independents and we have to stay relevant however we can. So. I can honestly say my brother cannot take responsibility for any of my actions, whether they be good or bad. I didn't mean Disclaimer. that. At all. I didn't mean that at all. Hey, um, I hope that this conversation uh, opens a bigger conversation, and I hope that uh, it, it, led, it, it leads to people understanding that you're performing and, and so that you don't get blackballed or, or whatever uh, might happen uh, or be, you know, be labeled a bad egg because you're, you're, you're doing something that uh, – that that has been done for you know 40 50 years and people used to get paid a lot of money to do what you're doing make people hate them and draw tickets you know draw money at the box office uh make a negro costas want you know make the fans want to see a negro costas shave your head bald and embarrass you and uh in in my opinion you know you know whether you had a faux pas or not uh for the most part you're just doing your job so i hope this platform and 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 will open up a discussion uh, and I'm look. I'm happy to have a continued discussion with anybody, no matter how they feel about it, because maybe I'm missing something. Uh, and 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 you know, you got to keep evolving. But I wish you nothing but the best. Hey, you, if you want to uh, uh, let people know how they can follow you on social media if they haven't already, uh, please go ahead. Well, if, if I'm not blocked on anybody's social media by now, hopefully they can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Real Sam Adonis. Um, I appreciate everybody that does support me. Um, I, one thing I like is, is one of the big compliments I get is a lot of people do say, I remind them of an old school wrestler, an old school heel. A lot of my biggest supporters are, you know, usually 35 and above a lot of people that are looking for an old school wrestler and, you know, somebody that, that wishes it was the way that it used to be. You know, I really do wish you could check me out and, and follow me and follow me along the way because, you know, I do, I have a lot of dates all over the country. I would love to meet you guys talk about good old wrestling and, you know, what you want to see, what, what I can do better, what, you know, what we can do to make wrestling, you know, for lack of a better term, make wrestling great again. <laughs> oh, well, on that note, uh, no, Hey, I, I, I hope that, uh, that you could make your way down to the Tampa area and, uh, and I could see you do your magic. Cause, uh, uh, I've seen a little bit of it from Mexico, but, uh, I'd love to see the full thing. Cause you, you really look, you sound like almost like an Andy Kaufman, like a performance artist and, and I always dig that kind of, those kind of people who take it as a uh, a challenge to get people to either hate them or like them or boo them or cheer them. That's always what's drawn me to this business since I was a little kid. So uh, so I look forward to seeing you and meeting you and uh, and wish you the best and thank you for your time and uh, best of luck in the future. 
Thanks a lot, Dave. I totally appreciate it. I'll see you soon, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Sam Adonis for what was an interesting conversation for sure. And I'd love your feedback on it, positive or negative, at David Penzer on Twitter. Uh, hit me up and let me know what you think. It, there's, not, there's no right answer or wrong answer, but it's certainly something that uh, is uh, controversial in something that wasn't controversial in 2008 or 1998 that's controversial in 2018. And, uh, you know, the world constantly changes and evolves, and I guess you got to evolve with it. Uh, sometimes that's not easy. But I appreciate his take, and I appreciate your take. So we're going to try a... Uh, a segment here, uh, we're going to call it Politically Incorrect with Rip Rogers. I still to this day, when I see wrestling fans or uh, like as I was walking down the hall at, at StarCast last weekend, I heard uh, people were saying, love the Rip Rogers interview. And, uh, you know, people just love the guy because uh, he's, he's, he's the real deal. And, uh, you know, you talk about it's, it's ironic that we just did a segment about what's politically correct in 2018. And. And Rip Rogers certainly is not. And uh, I think, you know, there's a segment of the audience that finds that refreshing. So we thought uh, maybe every couple of uh, months, every, you know, four times a year, like we do with the Disco Inferno, we'll give it its own segment and uh, see what Rip Rogers has to say. So without further ado, Jerry, is it time to call Rip now? Is he ready? All right, we're going to give Rip Rogers a call. Politically incorrect with Rip Rogers coming at you. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Rip, David Penzer. Who thank the you fuck for is this? this is David Penzer. We, had, is... we scheduled Politically Incorrect with Rip Rogers for, uh, for this uh, time. I, I know we're about five minutes late. I do apologize. No, you're fucked. No, you're goddamn 10 fucking, 11 fucking minutes late. And I told you if you can't call me at the right fucking time to go fuck yourself. Because I get tired of getting fucking before you fucking supposed to. You had me fucking wait by my goddamn phone like a fucking mark. And you fucking kayfabe me for a week or whatever. Then all of a sudden, oh, I forgot. Oh, if your fucking dick was bleeding, you wouldn't you wouldn't forget to fucking uh, clean that motherfucker up. Oh, no, fuck me, huh? See, you, you little fucking Jesus Christ. Here you are, a fucking good-looking, educated young fucking man. Hit me with fucking carny bullshit. Why the fuck you do that? I, I do apologize for the misunderstanding a couple of weeks ago. And... I thought that I had sent you a response apologizing that night. And then when I look back to contact you again on, on, on DM, it hadn't gone through for whatever reason. So uh, I do apologize. And uh, I mean that sincerely. Uh, and I do apologize for calling you late. But we, do, we will appreciate it if you still are available to, to do this segment. Well, fuck, you got me off the fucking shitter now. So we, we might as well do this, son of a bitch. All right. I do apologize, Rip Rogers. Uh, so the, the name of the segment is Politically Incorrect with Rip Rogers. And um, it, it's ironic because we just had a guest on, um, a guy named Sam Adonis. Not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, and uh, we our conversation was about uh, getting heat as a wrestler, as a heel wrestler, in this politically correct culture. And I know that uh, you're a trainer and, and, a, and a former wrestler. And I know that you that you know that we live in a different time now where you can't say the things you used to say to get heat because uh, people find them offensive. So I was, I was wondering, since it's a topical issue that we just talked about right here on the podcast, if you had any insight on that. Well, that's why the goddamn, uh, another reason why the goddamn wrestling business is fucking dead. 
Hell, everything everything in the wrestling business was was built on the good old American work, working against the evil fucking Jap, the evil Nazi, fucking the Adolf Hitler fucking Junior, or the uh, uh, it was it, everything was fucking race, and that's the way it was. It was always that goddamn way, and that's why you had that intensity and that and that emotion. It'd be fucking Bruno, the goddamn Italians against fucking Toru Tanaka, the evil fucking Jap, or whatever. Bring back World War II, motherfucker. And that's the way it was, and that's why it was intensity. That's why we fucking grew. Hell, now you fucking, every, every fucking kid gets a goddamn fucking participation trophy. Oh, the fat little fucking kid uh, gets, oh, you're not allowed to say he's fat. Oh, okay. Well, that's, well, this world is fucked, and that's all they're goddamn to it. You can't fucking do anything. You can't fucking say anything. Uh, and uh, uh, this world is fucked. That's all there is to it. So when a student comes up to you and they're about to maybe embark on a, a career and they've been with you for a year or two, and they say to you, Rip, how, how, do, how do I get heat in 2018 as a heel? I mean, is there, is there an answer? Is there, is, is there a way? or, or You, just... you got to know your fucking craft. Jesus fucking Christ. Some people can get fucking heat doing nothing. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Oh, yeah. Besides <laughs> you, I mean. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if fucking Regal could get in the fucking ring, put his hand behind his back, look at the fucking audience, give a holier-than-thou-art attitude, and shake his fucking head and not say one fucking word, and people hate his fucking ass. That is true. It was all facials. Yeah. I mean, the shit is so fucking simple, and everybody, and everybody makes it fucking hard. It's really fucking simple. Okay, I also wanted to, speaking of heat, I wanted to talk to you uh, about a good friend of yours and um, somebody who's uh, controversial in this business, to say the least, and that is uh, the Hockey Talk Man. I like the Hockey Talk Man, never did anything to me. I can, I, I'll never forget when Hockey Talk Man refused to put Johnny B. Bad over, and he was making a, th this is back in 2006, he was making a, th 2005, he's making, no, I'm sorry, 1995, he's making $1,000 per show, and he's booked uh -huh. 30. 30 days that month, and he refused to put Johnny. And I looked at him, I looked at, at hockey, and I said, Hockey, you're just leaving like 28 grand on the table. And he, he didn't seem to care. And uh, I don't know, still, my Jew ass, uh, excuse me, would never leave 20,000 anything on the table. But um, I know he's very controversial now. Talk about somebody who's politically incorrect. Uh, he, 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 you know, says his mind uh, sometimes to. Uh, not the uh, to, sometimes to his detriment uh, with 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 his coworkers. So uh, tell me about your friendship with Hockey Talk Man and and why you think he goes in that direction. Fuck, uh, for fucking forty some goddamn years, when I was in Southeastern, he used to ride with me, and he was the only guy ever that would ride with me. Like the trip from Pensacola to Birmingham was twenty five bucks. He would pay me before when he got in the van. Where I'm have to track these other motherfuckers down. They're trying to act like they oh they can't fucking remember their sleep. I'll get to tomorrow. I'll fuck you. He'd get in the goddamn van, just fucking sack lunch, and uh, we'd be talking shit the whole fucking time down the fucking town. And when R Wayne's driven you motherfuckers, all he getting fucking heat because he knows he can say a little something this is a fucking rib 
It's all a fucking work, and everybody fucking bites on it like the fucking marks they are because half the boys are fucking marks anymore. It's just fucking unbelievable. I just sit there and shake my fucking head and start fucking laughing, going, these fucking marks. Believe in this fucking Jesus Christ. Do you think there's some things that are off limits? I mean, do you, let me ask you a question. He recently did an interview uh, about six months ago and was talking about Dusty Rhodes and talking about how he was smelly and he never showered and he was dirty. I mean, do, do you think that, 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 uh, that at some point that you become a legend, such a legend in this business that certain things are just off limits to, to, as a personal attack? Well, I don't know who said, who said about Dusty not showering or something like that. I have no idea. Uh, a lot of stuff, if Dusty's the boss, he's, unle- he's telling you, hey, say this about me. Say this about me. Say this about me. Cause it'll, get me for- it'll get me more sympathy. Because, you know, as a, if, if I'm a heel, I never knock a baby face. I'm not going to say you're old, you're fat, you're young, because if I beat you, if I don't beat you, that makes me look not worth shit. So yeah. I'm going to put you over as being the greatest wrestler in the world, but I'm a little bit fucking better. You know what I mean? This was a, so this, a was, of- this was a shoot interview. Not to interrupt you, this was a shoot interview, okay. and they asked him about Dusty. And he started talking about Dusty, you know, drawing and all that. And then he mentioned that he was wrestling in Madison Square Garden, and he he was dirty, and he he, he hadn't showered, and he was. It, it, I just thought, I just thought, you know, they're, they're, you know, especially considering the guy's no longer with us. I just, I like Honky, but I just thought that there's, he he sometimes goes over even a line for Honky Talk Man. Uh, I mean, I think there's even in this. If you take away this PC culture, I still think there's a line of respect out there. And I, I just, I, I always wonder why he does that because, you know, uh, Jerry Sags heard about it. Who's Dusty's uh, uh, related to Dusty and, 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 and a lot of the boys heard about it. I was on a legends of wrestling show and they were talking about it. They were really hot, legitimately hot because they, he went personal on them. He wasn't talking about not being a good booker or, or, you know, you know, not having good ideas or, or not being a great, you know, or, you know, technical worker. He's talking about yeah. stuff, you know, personal stuff. So I'm just wondering, for you, somebody like you who's who's politically incorrect, is there a line? Um, if I'm going to say something about somebody, I'll ask the guy. You know what I mean? Sure. If, and then I'm going to say, I want to get some TP here for you because I want to make you more of an underdog. I want people to love you more, and I want people to hate me more. So when we get in that fucking ring, we're all fucking threatening Fred Stanford. And we can have this intensity of emotion that, like, he called my mom, he called my mommy a hoe or whatever the thing it is. You know what I mean? And we can make this personal. So in the ring, it's all emotion, and it's the threat of something. We don't have to do anything. It's the threat of the confrontation. It'd be like the goddamn guy dancing on the fucking Cowboys fucking uh, uh, home field uh, marker and him having a goddamn football ride or whatever disrespecting the fucking whatever it's all the threat it's like it's like junior high it's the threat of the fight it's not the fight here we got two fat little kids that can't fucking fight to begin with but it's the threat of it so does that answer your question and what wade's just saying in character wayne's the ultimate heel and that's all he is you know and wayne talked to me a lot about the the thing with uh mark merrill and saying with wcw it's not that he had nothing against mark merrill uh, he w- he said he was led to believe that he was going to be treated as as such, right? And of course, I know in the wrestling business that 
you can't believe nothing until the money's in your in your hand, and you can't believe. And I don't believe nothing anybody fucking says in a wrestling business, cause we're cause we're all fucking con men, and that's just the way it is. And to get in any position of power, you had to be a lying motherfucker to get there. If not, they'd have ate you fucking alive to begin with. You'd never been in a position to get there uh, before. But Wayne's just staying on fucking character to keep himself getting heat. And I don't care if you're loving me or praising me. Just spell my name right <laughs> and keep my name out there. Yes, and Wayne still today works when every fucking wants to. Works all them fucking comic con shit. He works his fucking uh, uh, weekend shows wherever. And he threatens the bump. Talks that fucking shit. Don't have to do nothing. And when he finally leaves his feet, tears the fucking house down because he does it one time and fucking sells it. And everybody else does 122 bumps for no reason, and they jump right back up. Wayne is the, it, Wayne is just an old-style wrestler, the way you're supposed to be, but now it's a big deal because nobody understands it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think now in 2008, whatever the circumstances were, uh, whether he was whatever he right. was promised, do you think now in 2018 uh, he looks back and says at 2000 at, at 1995 and says maybe I shouldn't have fucking left that you know 25 grand and who knows how many you know we were working 25 days a month back then at how, doing house shows and all that and you think he looks back and says maybe I, I should have just sucked it up or you think he he made a decision and he's going to stick by it. Well, there's, there's, there's two things, right? One is if he would have caved in, then they'd have just treated him like a fucking jabroni before, and the bookings would go down and lower and lower and lower. Or you can make a, make a stand and say, "Fuck you, my house is paid for anyway." You guys, go go fuck yourself. I can do what the fuck I want to do. I didn't call you. You fucking called me, and that's the way it. And and that's the way it fucking is. But then again, sometimes you look back and say, well, I was stupid. That was a stupid mistake. So, uh, well, that's well, it's like I was, I was working for Tampa after Eddie Graham died, right? And Wahoo was Booker. And uh, we had one of them super shows in fucking Miami. And it sold out. And Dusty come in for the TBS guys. And everybody in the show except me and Bugsy got color so we give them comedy because hell they'd seen fucking chicken dinner for how many goddamn matches so we give them steak and right. the place went nuts so the next fucking mega show in Miami I was left off of and I called Wahoo I said Wahoo I ain't Miami he goes and you know geez, he goes well that wasn't me that was Dusty you know, so right away I said, well, chief, fuck you, not you. I'm leaving. He said, what? I said, chief, fuck you. You left six places in a row with no notice and you know, it. he said, well, just go to fucking, uh, uh, Key West the next day, take the day off. I'll pay you for it. Like you were there. And I said, no, no, fuck him. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I, I can't fucking do it. I can't fucking live with my second self. Now, was that fucking stupid? Yes. <laughs> is that thing that fucking Wayne did probably at that time? Yes. <laughs> but at the time, we all get mad. We're all human. We all do stupid shit, right? Sure. And we sure. all have we all have anger and a little bit of fucking ego in us. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, and then a lot of times when they 
when they shit on you the first time, then they shit on you again and again, and they keep shitting on you. Knowing you, you know, <laughs> but, uh, so right or wrong, whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, so as far as, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So let me, let me ask you this. Uh, when you were in WCW working with Jody Hamilton, uh, yeah. Who is your favorite wrestler to, to wrestle against? And who is your least favorite wrestler to wrestle against? No, I, I didn't care, David. They were all the same. Really? It was up. It was up to me as a, like, I remember some guys, I, I'm going to say, okay, this guy is getting pushed this certain style. What can I do the best of my ability to make him unique, to make him different, to pull something out of him that I know nobody else can even think about, have enough balls to do, or be in shape to fucking do. You know what I mean? Right. It's like when I got to work those three times with Brian Pillman on TV three times. Then I got heat for having too good of a match. They would tell me not to put my fucking hair up in fucking cornrows because I look more like the star than the fucking stars did. Now I just fucking shake my head. You know what I mean? So honestly, if you saw a run sheet and you were and you were working with say an Arn Anderson or a, or a, yeah. or Bobby Eaton, uh, and right. and and alternately, if you saw a run sheet and you were working and nothing personal against the guy against the Van Hammer, you wouldn't it wouldn't you wouldn't be affected either way. You just go out and figure out a way to do your best. You wouldn't say shit. I got to hey. I got to wrestle Van hey. Hammer. No, I, I I wrestled Van Hammer one of his first early TV matches. Okay, God bless you. But anyway. But anyway, now this is going to be funny, and you'll laugh at this. The only time in my life I was working for Ole, and I walked in, and there was oh, there was my name against Stan Hansen. <laughs> I went over. I said, Ole, come here. I went over, pulled a fucking pen out of my fucking fanny pack, <laughs> scratched my fucking name out, wrote Ole Anderson on there, and next to it, fuck you. <laughs> And was starting to fucking leave, and he just fucking started laughing, right? Sure. And then he, then he said, I know you can do the job. I said, Holy, I know I can do the job, but that motherfucker might break my fucking jaw. That motherfucker was like a goddamn, hey, I was, I was in a, uh, we was in a cage match in goddamn Columbus, Georgia, and, and we were beating up Ole, and Stan hit the fucking ring, and he bent the fucking cage like in half to stop <laughs> and climbed in. I could not fucking believe it. This motherfucker could have killed me, and you know he couldn't see. So I'm a sucker. He might take a punch and fucking knock me fucking senseless, give me a fucking concussion, not knowing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit, I could have hit that motherfucker. I could have been shooting with that motherfucker, and he's working, and he wouldn't even feel me. He was so fucking strong. You know what I mean? It's one thing. <laughs> it's one. It's one thing to be stiff, and then it's another thing to not be able to see. But those two combined. Yeah. That makes for makes for a dangerous situation for sure. Hey, re- remember remember the time I I uh, got to work with Vader. I don't. I worked with Vader, and he had turned babyface, and I bit made the big deal of fucking jumping off the top, him not telling me, him having that fucking mask, pushing that button, that steam hit me in the fuck. I turned it into almost fucking comedy, but it was so fucking easy. Because he was thinking outside the, uh, he was going to, he just did what I wanted. He said, man, that was so much fucking fun. He said, I didn't hurt you either, did I? <laughs> <laughs> You're the one. I, yeah, I said, no, thank God for that. I said, Jesus Christ, you're 400 and some pounds of fucking beast. 
and fuck, I'm about 200, 300 pounds. <laughs> and, and I said, you have thirds bigger than fucking me. So I was just uh, glad as hell that I got him over in a different way. People responded to him more as a baby face. But the main thing, I got in, got out, didn't get hurt. I said, woo, thank you. So what? What you you came up in a time when, and I was there too, when the dirt sheet started to come out. And, you know, different. some of the guys would, hate the dirt sheets. Some of the guys would say they hated the dirt sheets, but then read them at home. Uh, some of the guys, uh, uh, you know, it really was at back then you couldn't say you liked them because, uh, you read them because you'd get heat. It's funny. You get heat. And then the promoters that you'd get heat with would go read the dirt sheets in their office. What right. was, what was your opinion on the dirt sheets? What do you, do you think it changed wrestling, uh, for the better or for the worse? I have no idea. I just know Dave Meltzer made a whole lot of fucking money out of it. By being, uh, by really being a really good investigative reporter, and he was just blessed because years ago they had all the territories, and all the territories would have a stooge, and they would all tell, they would give Dave the facts. Okay, we were in Topeka, Kansas. Let's say Bulldog Brown was the Bulldog was always against the scandal sheets, as he called them, but he always had his fucking free copy, right? Yeah, of course. He was probably the one. Yeah, he's the one telling uh, uh, Dave. Oh, it was a great match. It was. There was it was a standing room only crowd. That motherfucker wasn't half a house to match the shit. <laughs> but, he, but but Dave relied on uh, you know okay uh, some uh, the, whoever the stooge was in Tampa say it was you right here you are you're telling who what the houses were blah 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 and then you got the free info and he'd put you over on the fucking thing and then Atlanta had theirs Watts had theirs Fuller's had theirs Fritz had theirs Blanchard has theirs L.A. had theirs Shires had theirs Don Owens fucking uh. Uh, Vancouver, Stu Hart, the Bruiser, fucking the Sheik, fucking Crockett, WWF, fucking Geigel, Burn. It didn't matter where the fuck was at. They all, they all had their spot in there, and they all had, you know, this is the happened in the AWA. This is what happened in Tampa, and they all had to have an insider, reporter, stooge, whatever you want to fucking call it, uh, inside. And Dave would put the other guys up. Of course, he'd always tell Dave, "Oh yeah, I had the five star match, right?" So. Dave's just reporting, oh, this guy had a five-star match, right? <laughs> so it's all a rib, and Dave made a lot of fucking money, and it's his, and for him, uh, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> it's funny, too, because what, what people don't realize, like you just said, is a lot of times the ones who were anti-dirt uh, sheets, you know, uh, to you know, it, that was what they would say. They're the ones calling Dave and, like you said, getting the free uh, copy and uh, reading it, you know, uh, in the bathroom right. and stuff. and. Uh, and, and it, it was a big secret, you know. Everybody pretended like they hated yeah. it, and ninety percent of the people were reading it at the same time. But uh, yeah, that's like what I, I was up at the I don't know North Tower, whatever the fucking tower was. I'm up at Barnett's office, right? Sure. And he goes by Ripley, my boy. What's going? On? Oh, Ripley, my boy. Any dirt, right? <laughs> so I walk up to him, and I and I'd act like I was grabbing his fucking. Oh God, Ripley, K paid that, you know. <laughs> And there he was, and it, and then he'd have the goddamn uh, uh, the Wrestling Observer right there, and he'd be, he'd be reading it right. He had nothing to do, and he'd just fucking be reading the Wrestling Observer, and I'm just fucking laughing. <laughs> well, he, he he had like a micro, like a like a the uh, magnifying glass. Well, he, well, hell, his his fucking glasses was about fucking uh, three quarters of an inch thick. Right? But he still couldn't see. I know that. Well, hell, I, I, at the time, I I don't you know. I didn't know if he had the fucking uh, uh, magnifying glass there or fucking uh, what the deal was. Uh, I was just, uh, he he saw me and he come running out of his fucking office just to fucking uh, 
I was in character. It had fucking my hair, fucking uh, blonde hair with the fucking ponytails. I had to do something. I can't remember. I was over at the tower for doing something. I can't remember what the fuck it was. I had to go get something or something about running some uh, towns or, or I can't remember what it was. And he come out and we just started BS. Any other good uh, Jim Barnett stories? My boy. <laughs> well, let's see. Well, we, uh, you, you only want to give them like once a show or whatever. Because <laughs> you, you, want, you, you, want you want to treat each one like a goddamn WrestleMania moment, right? So uh, when, when you got Jimsy, my boy, I used to always rib him about the uh, uh, Lexington. You know what I mean? When he had the mansion in Lexington and Rock Hudson would come in and they would do the UK <laughs> football players and shit. I'd, I'd rib him about that all the time. Because I remember Randy Savage's dad, Angelo Popo, he told me about that shit, you know, when I was with him. And I, I just thought he, he was ribbing me, right? Then all of a sudden, the guy writes a goddamn book on there and said, holy, <laughs> holy, all yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, hey, it's, hey, every day to wrestle this is a fucking adventure. Don't get any fucking better than that. That's why we have you all doing this segment. Hey, that's... Tell me about your feelings about Jim Cornette. You guys are, are uh, very similar in the fact that you're old school and, and, and politically incorrect for the most part. Uh, is there anything that you disagree with him strongly on, or do you guys pretty much see eye to eye? Well, it, it's pretty much, uh, you got to remember, he was, he was born and bred in that Memphis territory, okay? Right. And uh, I was watching mostly Dick the Bruiser stuff. It, you know, for about 10 years before they got Dick Goulas' tape in Louisville for me to see that. And I would see the old cheek and stuff like that. So Memphis was fire and brimstone. That would be the Louisville tape. It was fire and brimstone. And that, the only thing I didn't like was uh, if Bruiser would hit you with about three fucking punches, with, every time he hit Bobby Heenan, he bled. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, in, and in Memphis wrestling, hell, there'd be fucking... 60 punches in one fucking match, right? And it's like when I was working, I could never punch a whole lot because you had to make mean, you had to sell each other. I might do a jab sequence and then a big one as a fucking heel, then the baby face makes the one jab sequence and a big one on fucking me, and me take a goddamn bump. And, but uh, mostly he's old school wrestling and I'm old school wrestling. And, and I pretty much agree with everything. I don't think I've ever disagreed from what I heard of, of what he was talking about. It's just like working strong style. Wait a minute, strong style? No, wrestling is phony. You act like you're hurt. You don't beat the shit out of guys and not sell it. That's like ECW when they didn't have any baby face heels. And then, uh, you know, wrestling, you'd be brought up with uh, you fucking the heels bigger or the fucking asshole, the baby face. Wrestles clean, the fucking uh, heel cheats one fucking time, he hit him with the fucking roll of quarters, and he knocked him out. Fucking uh, uh, ECW, fuck, first, uh, there's, no, there's no rules, so you can't fucking cheat. And then they do 99 things in each fucking match that should be a fucking finish. So now it just destroys the credibility of everything else. But now, you know how I get going off on one thing and another and stuff like that. Sure. <laughs> so, but everything in wrestling is if, if you're having to clean. I remember, 
I'm wrestling Montgomery, Alabama. I make a speech before the match. I will not cheat in any form. I wrestle clean the whole fucking time. People are on fucking pins and needles waiting. Finally, off a clean break, I hit the guy with a forearm, knocking fucking senseless. I get a one, two, three, and he lays there like he's got a concussion and selling it. Fans are coming to the fucking ring, screaming at the ref. He hit him with a forearm. He hit him with a forearm. And the guy fucking sold him. Tried to get up and kept falling. He really hit him with a forearm. Of course, there was 60 punches the match before, right? So we can make or destroy. We can make our business or destroy our business with our own wrestling psychology. The baby face and the heel working together to make your match special. The moves are irrelevant. It's just called selling each other. Absolutely. Hey, last topic, and I appreciate your time. Uh, th- there's a women's movement now in, in not only WWE but professional wrestling. Um, is there ever a time that you would see a women's match headlining a WrestleMania? Or, and do you have any issues with that? Well, a lot of... Uh, a, a lot of the girls are the shit. Uh, you got to remember, Moolah's girls, they all live together, train together. They might be working the same girls for 15 years, so they could go out and have a 30-minute match with all the people in their troop. Right. Now, uh, what's the girl wrestler? Oh, she's uh, young. She's got a boob job. Uh they gimmick her hair, gimmick her fucking nails. Here's her fucking song, blah, 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 blah. And you got to remember, they don't hardly wrestle. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I got I got five shows this month. Oh, okay. Against some other greenhorn girls. So they can call it. Uh, okay, here's the thing, David. People have been WWE eyes for 30-some years. So they don't even know what good wrestling is now. It's just what Vince decided that's what good wrestling is now. So if you would go back on uh, YouTube or you go back on the WWE Network, which is good and bad. You're, you, uh, now, did you always live in Tampa? Uh, uh, pretty much uh, my whole life. Uh, well, I lived in South Florida and then Tampa and Atlanta when I worked for WCW. Okay, but what I'm talking about, whether you went to Fort Home, Homer Hesterly Armory. No, no, I went to the Miami Beach Convention Center. Okay, so you went to the Miami Beach Convention Center every fucking Wednesday, right? Pretty much. So, and uh, so you knew what fucking wrestling was. Right. And you knew the guys worked hard that day because we're doing two fucking tapes. And then we're driving down to fucking Miami, hoping we get there, getting dressed in the fucking van, hoping we get there by, by the first match. Because uh, that's why they would hold it back to, what, the 8.30 start time instead of 8 o'clock? Yeah, because you guys did TV that morning. Right. We did two tapes and did promos. Right. And if there was a wreck or something or there's some kind of traffic thing or whatever, we was hoping to get there like 15 minutes ahead of time already dressed. And that's when Alligator right. Alley was uh, was a two-lane yeah. highway. It's, it's not Right. A, uh-huh. yeah, so. Right. So you understood what wrestling was. Right. Uh, with emotion, fucking nice fucking feuds, fucking blow off, a continual exchange of fucking talent. Of uh, If you were a heel, you were lucky to get, unless you lived there, fucking uh, 
fucking Malenko was there uh, working full time for I don't know how many goddamn years, right? And then, uh, but you know, if you're heel, you're trying to get a year run there, maybe you know, because they they see you in goddamn Miami fifty two times, you might have heat the first couple times, but then oh, he ain't that bad. He's sort of fucking funny. Ha ha ha. You know what I mean? Sure. But then on fucking uh, when you watch WWE, it's what they want want you to do, and it's just it's just a different. It's just a different goddamn fucking ball game. You can hear those people in Miami, fucking Tampa, fucking Orlando, uh, just going with the fucking whoosh, with the fucking punch, the uh, the anticipation of all this. But the atmosphere was like the goddamn Florida, Florida State football game. It was that kind of atmosphere. Now you go in, it's like the Ice Capades or the Harlem Globetrotters. The fans think they're part of the fucking show. They think they know more than the promotion. They think they know more than the wrestlers. They think they know more than the fucking bookers they think they're god part of the goddamn show fuck you know i mean if there's something i wouldn't like i wouldn't watch it on tv and i wouldn't go i mean you're a fucking idiot if you want to go pay a hundred dollars for a fucking ticket and then bitch about it how fucking stupid are you you goddamn uh go get go get your fucking two table dances or something what the fuck right (laughs) jesus Jesus fucking christ you want to pay money and be mad that's fucking stupid well, we've we've certainly <laughs> talked about that before. At the, I think uh, early in the show, uh, you know, people go to the matches and then they they they, uh, they they chant, you know, things that don't have anything to do with the show, and they 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 uh, bring beach balls and they they throw them around during the matches, and and then they they complain about how bad the show was, but they paid to get there. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't like it? Don't support it. If you don't agree with it, don't yeah. support it. Uh, we've we've yeah. had. We've had that rant before, and uh, uh, it's just a different world we live in, which is sort of why it's uh, fun to have you on and uh, to hear your point of view, which is, uh, is different. Uh, people may agree with it. People may disagree with it, but it's refreshing for sure. And uh, we appreciate you giving, uh, giving some time again, and we'll have you back. And, I, again, I apologize for the mis- misunderstanding a couple of weeks ago. I truly do, and I hope, uh, hope you could forgive me. Well, if you're going to tell me you're going to call me at goddamn 515, that means 5 fucking 15, you know, and, it, you know, 516, you're fucking late, you know. I know you're a fucking hardworking young man in the prime of fucking life, and you're always early for your for your real fucking job. You're not 15 minutes early. You're fucking late. And no, you I'm, probably got up. I'm always, I'm always late. Oh, okay. If I'm well, early, anyway, if David, I'm early, people are surprised. We were we went out to we went went out to dinner with a uh, like three or four other couples uh, and we were the we were there like fifteen minutes early and everybody else came in and were shocked they were like uh, did we get the time wrong uh, <laughs> because uh, no, well, uh, we're always I'm always late yeah but what it was was the other guy was paying the night so you was gonna fucking be early. <laughs> uh, and you, you went to the gym you went to the gym and worked out for two hours and hadn't ate all day so you could fucking uh, uh, really put it put it to him on that fucking bill. Rip, Rip, <laughs> I have not been to the gym in thirty years, twenty years. Uh, I wish I, I wish I wish I was motivated. I really do. Well, you know, we all got our fucking the things we do too much. You know, whether it be fucking gym, whether it be excessive masturbation, or fucking whatever. <laughs> so, or too many cuss words. Uh, we're all God's children and nobody's fucking perfect. Rip, I appreciate it. And, 
and tell them where they could follow you on social media to uh, to be entertained. And you also give a lot of great advice to up and coming wrestlers. So uh, tell them where they can follow you. Well, you can follow me on Hustler Two Seven Five Four. That's my birthday, February seventh, nineteen fifty four. Two seven five four. So I'll be fucking sixty five if I don't fucking croak before then next fucking February. And the, the, the usual advice I give the goddamn fucking guys is, is don't quit your fucking day job. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, you, you put it, you put a lot of advice, psychology, psychology advice on the, on, on there. Uh, I see it almost every day. So, well, it makes you feel, it makes you feel better, <laughs> but I know that, no, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but it, I know that 99.9, they don't understand it anyway. Yeah, but it makes you feel like you're doing your part at least. Yeah, at least I'm trying, you know. <laughs> All right. Hey, have a good one. Thanks again, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. Ladies and gentlemen, Politically Incorrect with Rip Rogers. We hope you enjoyed it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, want to thank Rip Rogers. Want to thank Sam Adonis. Uh, talk a little bit, a little, little Politically Incorrect uh, episode uh, of sitting ringside again i don't necessarily know that there's a right answer or a wrong answer and i know guys like rip and sam uh are uh certainly understand the the, the world we live in in 2018 and 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 the, the i want to say the risk but the uh the challenges of of working around that and still uh being able to work your craft so I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, if you have any opinion, positive, negative, good, bad, uh, let me know what you think of the Politically Incorrect uh, with Rip Rogers segment. Uh, we'd love to do it down the road and take your questions. I, uh, I did put uh, something on Twitter uh, taking questions, but only had a couple hours notice that we were going to have Rip on, so I really didn't get to, uh, to give the fans that follow us much of a, uh, 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 an update. So uh, we'll try to do that again. If everybody likes it, let us know. At David Penzer, at Penzer Ringside. Like I said, made a lot of connections, uh, reconnections at uh, StarCast, and uh, we've got a lot of cool things lined up here in the future uh, as far as guests go. So I'm really excited about the rest of the year. And again, thank you to all those who had a kind word to say, who just shook my hand uh, for one weekend. Uh, it, was, uh, it was nice to, uh, you know, you know, Rip Rogers talked about it. Everybody has a little bit of an ego. And, uh, you know, you, normally um, uh, David Penzer, realtor, uh, who nobody remembers. And it was nice to have people coming up saying, hey, you know, you're the voice of my, my childhood. That, that's a huge honor to me and uh, doesn't happen a lot. But uh, uh, I'm honored that uh, even if I played a small role, uh, I'm honored that anybody remembers who the hell I am, quite frankly. Uh, so... Uh, I want to thank everybody again. If you could tell, I was a little humbled by the reaction, and um, and I really appreciate it. So until next time, uh, tell your friends and neighbors, leave a review if you can. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll see you next time. I'll still be sitting ringside. Bye. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. At first, I thought it was a chance that Nike was taking. 
when it's all over, it might be one of the uh, best million dollars they've ever spent. And I don't, I don't know how much they gave Colin Kaepernick to for him to be their spokesperson. But uh, boy, I tell you what, there's a whole lot of buzz going on for one little meme. They haven't showed a shoe. They haven't shown anything. Just one little meme and one little passage, and that's it. And there's been some good discussions come about, and uh, it makes me makes you say mm, every once in a while. You know, when you look at some of the companies that have been affected throughout the years with spokespeople, uh, and you would not see a ruckus. You saw people burning their Nike shoes. Now, you have. People, and from what I've seen, it was Caucasian people. I'm sure there was some black people too, but in uh, the ones that I've seen. So you have Caucasian people burning their shoes because a black athlete that didn't kneel for the anthem. So they're going to burn the shoes that were made by 12-year-old Asian kids. The whole thing is stupid, okay? You burning your Nike shoes, you really think that's going to make a difference? You really do? You think it's going to make a difference with Nike? It's not. You can burn all you want. You're looking at some of these companies like Subway. Subway had Jared was touching little boys all over the People are hitting boycott Subway. That's all good. You know what? I don't see people boycotting the church. And I tell you what. Some of them church members be touching little boys for a long time and they've been getting away with it. My thing is, how is who got hurt? Who did Colin Kaepernick hurt other than himself? Colin Kaepernick didn't hurt anybody other than himself. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.